Hello friends, welcome to Wednesday Wake Up, a podcast hosted by Gregory Maloof, Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Ruth Dennison, mental health therapist, and mindfulness coach. Wednesday Wake Up explores the ancient teachings of Buddhism through the lens of Western psychology, neuroscience, and the modern human potential movement. Our commitment is for these teachings to educate, challenge, and inspire you to awaken to your deepest potential to live a truly fulfilling life of wisdom, joy, and compassion. Thank you for joining us. May these teachings serve you well. So I think I had mentioned earlier, I'm going to do a few weeks of talks based on this article that I got. This was a translation from Gil Fronsdal. And it's this great talk called Skillful Ways to Evaluate Your Practice. Skillful Ways to Evaluate Your Practice. And I was so excited when I read it because I think it was last year that I did a talk on how to evaluate progress on the path. And in the last two years, that was like one of the most popular downloaded podcasts that we had. So when I read the article, it had all kinds of different perspectives and new ideas. So I was like really happy about this. So I'm going to just do a few Dharma talks over the next few weeks based on this article. I'll post the article uh, link at the, in the show notes for the podcast so you can read it. I'll read you the introductory paragraph today, and then I'm going to make some comments on it. And then for the next consecutive weeks, we're going to hit the different topics that Gil talks about uh, as far as skillful ways of evaluating practice. Seemed like a great way of starting off 2023. So this is how it goes. Um, Just a short paragraph, but I'll read the introduction. Gill says this, after a person has been meditating for some time, it's important that he or she evaluate how the practice is developing. Is it working? Does it need adjustment? Is it the right practice to be doing? Can it be improved? Some of this evaluation can be done on one's own, some with a teacher and some with friends. This should be done in a balanced way, not too little and not too much. Sometimes we don't evaluate enough, maybe because of complacency or excessive reliance on faith in the practice, or even teachings that downplay the role of intelligent reflection. At other times, we might over-evaluate and tie ourselves up in knots. This can undermine our progress. Evaluation of practice. For some reason, I like this topic, probably because I am a perfectionist and a goal-oriented person. (laughs) I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but I imagine it has something to do with my interest in this subject. I actually think there's another part of this, which is in my own experience as a meditator over the last, I don't know, 20 plus years, there's been definite times where I felt kind of lost on the path. I wasn't quite sure what I was supposed to be doing wasn't quite sure where I was going. And there were times when I was asking myself, is this really working? Is this not working? Is it working the way it's supposed to supposed to be? And I'm not the only one who has this experience that I know. Uh, I meet with so many students and have that privilege of hearing so many different people from different places who are meditating have that same question of like, is the practice actually working? And if it is working, how do I know it? What, what should I be looking for that allows me to say, yes, my Dharma practice is going well? So it's a, it's a big topic because there are so many parts of the path that we can be working on. Every one of us has different motivations for being on the path. We have our uh, preferences and our aversions that we want to be addressed by the Dharma. So if we feel anxious, we want the Dharma to deal with our anxiety. If we're experiencing insomnia, we're trying to get the Dharma to work on that. So 
it might be that we ask so much of the Dharma that at some point we do really need to ask ourselves, what am I trying to get out of this? What am I working on? And is it actually going the way it's supposed to? So in the spirit of that, I wanted to uh, say a few things because I really liked how Gil says that we need to approach this in a balanced way because we can, in fact, tie ourselves up in knots worrying about the goal. We can do way too much clinging about the outcome of our practice, and it can be very distracting constantly worrying about what's next, what's the next step, what do I do now, and how am I advancing in practice. So it's so true that we can get really clingy with progress and be way too goal-oriented for the Dharma. So that's totally true. And similarly, as Gil points out, we can essentially give up asking questions about the goal and sort of get lost in the practice and not really have a sense of where we're going. We lose the sense of autonomy in the practice. And sometimes we, we let go so much that we kind of expect the practice to just unfold on its own without participation. That if we just sit on the cushion long enough or for as many days as we need to, that eventually it just kind of works itself out. And, you know, and to some degree that's true, but it's actually equally true that the path does not walk itself. Like the mind doesn't meditate itself. We really do have to be aspirational, intentional, and mindful about what we're doing. And the more we can fall into that pattern of routine and gentle self-evaluation, the easier it will be to notice when we've fallen off the path or strayed from our intentions and when we're actually in alignment with our values and showing up in the world as we would like to be, which is ideally mindful, balanced, equanimous, right? Generous, honest, these different values that we place um, on the path that we're, that we are, I was about to say striving, that we're gently reaching for. So I wanted to talk just a little bit about some misunderstandings of evaluation because I know for me, I wasn't able to consistently and skillfully evaluate where I was on the path until I could get over my hangups, which were quite a few in worrying about evaluating my progress on the path. So I'm going to throw out a couple things here. And these are just some common misperceptions that I come across quite a bit. And I've had every single one of these at one point or another. The first one, which is the simplest, is just that there is this inherited idea that if we spend any time evaluating the goal and where we are in relationship to the goal, then this is going to prevent us from getting there. And I just would invite you to consider it's not the evaluating that's the issue, it's the clinging to the evaluating. And I'll show you in a second here that the Buddha actually invites us to evaluate all the time in the Dharma. In fact, the Eightfold Path is a series of judgments, value judgments, evaluations that we're constantly overlaying onto the world to direct us towards awakening. So it's not that clinging to the goal is really the I'm sorry, it's not that the evaluating of where we are in relationship to awakening, that's the problem. It's how much we're grasping and clinging to that process. Because the Buddha really does invite us to engage in skillful clinging and skillful evaluation. So you can just set aside the idea that focusing on the goal or evaluating progress is somehow a bad thing. You can just put that aside because it's really a part of the practice and it really does fall under discernment. Um, and we'll talk about that in a second. So letting that go, another 
sort of cousin or sister uh, sibling correlative to this is that we we sometimes think that let me see how to put this that if we focus on the goal which is freedom from suffering that we will create too strong of an ego right that will reify a sense of self and create too much of an I like I want to be free or I want to be loving and again I would invite you to think yes that can be a problem if there's too much clinging but I want to remind you that one of the the great things about the Dharma is that the Buddha actually invites skillful clinging especially in the beginning of the path and so these are the things the Buddha says are skillful clinging, and I think this is really helpful to remember. So it's skillful to cling to the goal in the beginning, right? It's skillful to cling to the path and the practices in the beginning, <laughs> caveat. It's skillful to cling and desire a higher form of happiness, a happiness that is non-harming and not dependent on outside circumstances. And... The Buddha talks about how it is healthy to cling to a sense of self as long as it is not interfering with your practice. So in the beginning of practice, we are in fact clinging to the aspiration of freedom from suffering. We are trying to create a personhood, right? A sense of self that can say with a sense of gentleness and stability, I aspire to be free from suffering. I aspire to show up in the world as a kind, generous, and honest person. I aspire to be a meditator. All of those aspirations and orientations toward the goal are considered to be skillful. Now, they can have a shadow side and we can start getting clingy and we can say any of those things that I just voiced with a sense of arrogance, right? I can suddenly be prideful, like I'm a meditator, which means I'm better than you, <laughs> or I'm such an honest person. I'm so honest. I'm so good for being so honest. Like we can take any of those skillful clingings and immediately turn them into an unskillful clinging, like without even thinking about it. So yes, the ego can be at play here and we can go astray, but it's important to know that the Buddha did make a distinction between unskillful clinging and skillful clinging and encouraged us to evaluate ourselves in a way that leads to freedom from suffering. And we can do that. We can set goals and evaluate progress without becoming arrogant and snooty and feel superior or too prideful in our experience. So this really is actually part of the path as long as we do it with a skillful heart. So that's the, the first thing I think is helpful for us to let go of thinking it's a bad thing and that we've strayed if we're having a sense of I, even if that I says, I wish all beings to be free. I wish myself to be totally skillful as long as there isn't a sense of arrogance and clinginess and conceit, which is the Buddhist term for essentially the arrogance that can happen in these states. Another part of evaluation that took me a while to figure out, but I think it's really helpful. So I'll see if I can clarify what this is. Sometimes I think we look at spiritual growth and spiritual practice as being in such a unique we see it as being such a unique experience that we think that it doesn't abide by the laws of other kinds of personal growth and development. So sometimes we actually think that the regular, I'm going to say laws, although laws is probably a heavy handed word, but the laws that apply 
to human development and human growth are somehow different than the type of psychological laws that apply to spiritual development. When in fact, they're actually more similar than they are different. And what I mean by that is that the Buddha's Dharma, right? There was lots of different Dharmas at the time of the Buddha. The Buddha's Dharma is not a faith-based practice. So it, it is by its nature, a form of personal growth and development. And if we're doing it properly, we're going to change. We're going to evolve. We're going to grow in ways where we become different, right? We become kinder, gentler, less reactive. We become uh, more honest. We become much more sensitive to discontent in our heart and mind. And so the, the person that begins the path is not the person that is there at the end, right? And I know from my own experience, um, just being on the path, and <laughs> I, am, I, I can honestly say I'm nowhere near awakening that, <laughs> that I know uh, for certainty. But what I do know is the person that's here right now speaking the words of the Dharma is not at all the same person that was here when I first sat on the cushion. I was angry, I was bitter, I was judgmental, I was like really arrogant. I mean, when I look back at the self that first hit the meditation cushion, the growth that's occurred, I'm just not the same person. So it's important to know that the Buddha's spirituality, the Eightfold Path, not being a faith-based path, is a path of personal growth and development. You're going to change, you're going to grow, and you're going to show up differently. You're going to notice it, other people are going to notice it. And that process of growth, that process of change, follows the basic laws of human psychology in the same way that you see similarities in therapeutic growth or just the, the growth of humans from children to adults to maturity. The, the path of awakening has similarities to basic human growth and development. And the reason I'm saying that is that the Eightfold Path is dynamic. It's in motion. So when we commit to being a meditator, we are committing to hopping on a train that's going somewhere, right? It's an Eightfold Path. It has a beginning. It has a middle phases. It has an end. It has distinct um, phases that all meditators tend to go through, give or take. And you'll notice that it's you know, it's called an eightfold path. It's not the eightfold hotel or the eightfold restaurant or the eightfold truck stop. It's not the eightfold static something. It's the eightfold path. It's motion towards something, right? And when we can remember that it's a path and that it's in motion and that we're in motion, then we realize at some point we have to evaluate where am I in this motion towards the goal? When we can really acknowledge that it is spiritual development, not spiritual stagnation, right? Where the path moves, it moves us. Our hearts expand, our minds open, awareness gets clearer. There is progress in this whole experience. And again, we don't have to be snooty about it. We don't have to be arrogant, but there is progress on the path. And when we remind ourselves that there is motion towards something, then it's easier to acknowledge if I'm moving from here to there, right? If I'm moving to this present moment to the there of liberation, at some point, I'm going to have to ask myself, how close am I to the there, right? How, how far am I? Where am I going the right direction? It's very similar 
I mean, if you go on vacation and you're driving somewhere, at some point, you're going to make sure you're headed in the right direction. You're going to look at the map or, you know, check Google Maps or do whatever, but you're going to make sure that you're actually going to the place you're saying you're going to. If this was a path where it was more faith-based, right, or more uh, based on, say, you have to read something and understand something conceptually, that would be a different story. But in this case, there is this long journey of personal development and growth and awakening and evolution that happens. And so at some point, we have to ask ourselves, <laughs> I was thinking of this today, we basically have to ask ourselves, are we there yet? So <laughs> I would encourage you to think of the Eightfold Path as a destination and think of yourself as a little kid in the back of the car, constantly asking your parents, how long before we get there? Are we there? And you want to get kind of feisty at times and really ask yourself, like, how much longer is this going to take till I get to awakening? You want to do it in a loving and gentle way. But evaluating where you are is part of the process because it's a growth-oriented path, right? We go from here to there. So it's helpful to ask ourselves, what does it mean to get there? How will we know? And what will it look like? And do I feel like I'm on the right track? One of the stumbling blocks, I think, for us to even engage a conversation around evaluation has to do with the idea of judgment. For me, it has to do with the idea of judgment. I'll see if I'll see if this lands for you. But for me, when I got into the Dharma and became a meditator, I found that often in spiritual communities, there was a pretty heavy-handed orientation to not judge anything, right? To have a sense of equanimity, non-reactivity, and acceptance. And while all of those things are totally skillful in the path, if we focus too much on acceptance and too much on non-reactivity, it's easy to forget that we can't actually practice unless we're judging, unless we're discerning. And so if we get afraid of the word judging or evaluating, then it's hard for us to actually do the act if we think it's sort of a crime, if we think it's a crime against the practice, so to speak. And let me give you an example of what I mean when you actually see it in the real world, when you actually see it in the practice. My suggestion is to consider that the path itself is continually asking us to create value judgments and interpret the world in a way that we are skillfully judgmental. And it sounds weird even saying that, but here's what I mean, and you'll see that it's actually not such a bad thing. The minute we as meditators choose mindfulness at any moment in your life, the minute you say, I'm gonna choose mindfulness in this moment, I'm gonna be awake and aware of what is actually happening, we've just passed judgment on the world. What we've just said is, I am valuing presence over distraction. I'm valuing the present moment experience over the wandering mind. And I just want you to sit with that for a second. Anytime we sit down to engage in meditation, we are living into a value system and we are placing judgment and we are saying some things in the world are more valuable than others. And I am going to practice things and show up in a way that I think is more valuable than other ways I could show up and do other actions. So anytime we choose to sit on a meditation cushion, instead of, for me, it's watching some episode of something or binging something or whatever it may be, if I, the moment I choose to like 
go upstairs in my world and put down my meditation cushion and sit on the cushion rather than doing something else, I've just made a value judgment. I'm saying I value presence and I value what comes out of this meditative experience at a higher level of not doing it, of whatever else I could have chosen to do in the moment. And so there's a value at play. There's a value system at play in the Dharma, which we sometimes we tend to overlook. And again, when we're sitting in meditation and the mind's distracted and it's running all over the place and it's clinging and craving and judging, the minute we notice that, we notice that a hindrance has arisen and we say to ourselves, thank you for sharing, not now, and we bring awareness gently back to the object of concentration that we've chosen, we've just created and lived into a set of values. We've said, presence is not as valuable as craving. Loving kindness is not as valuable. Loving kindness is more valuable than the aversion in my life, the doubt in my life, the fear in my life. And so when we're walking on the path, there is this initial value that we're placing on mindfulness, that we're placing on the path itself, and we're placing on what we think are good qualities that are going to free us from suffering and cause us to do or encourage us to do less harm to ourselves and others. Another example, of course, is the precepts. Now, the precepts is like kind of an in-your-face example. So it, that one's kind of obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. The precepts are, of course, a system of value judgments which says this is good and this is bad. Skillful speech, more valuable than gossip. Speech that is less divisive and is timely. And we check in with the person and we see if they can hear what we're about to say is more valuable to us than speaking without thinking or speaking without being attuned to our heart. So we're passing these judgments that allow us to become more skillful. And we're adopting a system of values moment to moment that is the Eightfold Path. When we look at the Buddha's instructions to Rahula, and this is that, I'm referring to that famous, I can't remember the, the sutta itself, but it's the sutta most of us know as when the, when the Buddha talks about how Rahula is supposed to evaluate his actions. How do, we, how do we know that our actions are positive? How do we know our actions are causing harm? And the Buddha just offers a very practical explanation, which is when you're about to do an action and you have an intention, ask yourself, do I think this can ha cause harm for somebody? And if you think it might cause harm, don't do it, right? Don't do it. Create a value judgment and say, no, I value the non-harm over the harm. And then the Buddha says, if after the action, the immediate response, the immediate consequences, do you see that it's harmed anyone? Has it harmed yourself? Has it harmed others? If so, make a strong commitment that next time you're not going to do that. And then look at long-term consequences. And when you look at the long-term consequences, again, you create this value judgment and you say, I'm really going to look at my actions. I'm going to look at the long-term consequences. And if I really see that there is some harm that's been done for myself, towards myself or others, again, I'm going to value the non-harm over the harm. And so that one's a little more obvious, but I think it helps us to see that discernment, this is the discernment factor, of course, in our enlightenment factors, this ability to overlay a value system and show up embodying those values is a significant part of the Dharma. It's a significant part. Grounding this in mindfulness, I'll say this. 
part of the reason that we choose and value mindfulness, right? We value mindfulness because it brings us into the present moment and does what? Mindfulness allows us to look at what's happening and consciously and intentionally create the distinction of harm and non-harm. It allows us to look into the present moment and say, where is the suffering? And if I can see the suffering, can I find the role that my heart is playing in this moment, in this suffering? Can I see the contraction of my mind? And we look at that and we say, I'm going to aspire to a higher value in this moment. I'm going to aspire to think with compassion, to feel with compassion, to be equanimous, to create balance. And so when we enter into the present moment, part of the reason we're doing it is so we can create really skillful value judgments so we can show up kind and generous and happy. So that's one way of looking at this need to evaluate and judge our practice as we're moving forward, that the entire practice is like this. We're constantly evaluating. So it's not anything, it's not separate from the path. It is a huge portion of how we approach our practice. I often, as you know, like when I look at the enlightenment factors, I often refer to them as heart-mind qualities because the Buddha pretty much describes it as that. But one could also say that the heart-mind qualities are the things that we value the most as meditators. And that when we walk the path, our aspiration is to bring those values into the world. Discernment, joy, tranquility, equanimity, right? Acceptance. So when we look at loving kindness, again, we might say, I really value compassion and goodwill. And so if I value it, then my highest aspiration is to show up in a, in a world where I'm acting out of those heart-mind qualities, because that's what I value. And so I've made this baseline judgment to look at the enlightenment factors as the higher qualities of my being that I would like to aspire to. And when you look at the Eightfold Path, the way it's laid out, when you look at the way it's laid out, it wise view, wise intention, wise action, right? We have this view where we value happiness and we value a type of happiness that is non-judgmental and doesn't harm people and doesn't hurt ourselves. It's a type of happiness that's not dependent on outside circumstances. So it has a low carbon footprint. It's green, so to speak. And that is our value system, right? We aspire to those values and then we intend to show up and act in a way that's in alignment with the values that we've laid down for ourselves. If we are aspiring to really bring a certain value to ourselves and into the world, then at some point we have to evaluate if we're actually doing that. <laughs> because at some point we have to ask ourselves, if I imagine what it's like to be a compassionate and honest being, then I have to look at my present moment experience and say, you know, how do I get from here to there? How far away am I from being in alignment? Or how far away am I from being in integrity with these values that are, that are cherished in my practice. And so part of evaluating practice, as uh, Gil says in his opening paragraph, is doing it with this sense of balance. We don't wanna get lost in constantly evaluating, but we do have to ask ourselves, am I in alignment with the values that I'm seeking with my practice? Am I in alignment with balance and equanimity and compassion and generosity? 
I started, I was just thinking of this. I started doing this thing probably a couple years ago. <laughs> I'm laughing because, so when I was, okay, I'm going to go back. As a little kid, I was really always very embarrassed to say I'm sorry. It came from a, a household where there was a lot of shame, shame-based kind of behavior stuff. And so saying sorry was like a real shaming experience. Having to say you're sorry was like something that was really uncomfortable. So it took me many years as I got older to get comfortable with honoring being able to say, hey, I did something wrong. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I hurt you. And in the last few years, in relationship to this idea of the Dharma, where I see myself aspiring to bring certain values into my heart and into my mind and show up with actions that are in alignment. When I do something that I notice harms someone, oftentimes what I'll say is, I'm really sorry because what I did is not in alignment with my values. And the apology is not some abstract shaming. It's just me being honest, like that which I did and you felt harm was me being out of alignment with what I'm trying to be in the world. And I'm sorry it hurt you, but it's also a way for me to acknowledge I'm off track. I'm aspiring to be kind. And I was rude and snippy to this person. It's like, mm, that's not how I want to show up. So I'm sorry. I, I want to show up as someone who's patient and I'm sorry. I wasn't that in the moment. So for me, what I've come to do to evaluate and keep myself on track is just to ask myself, am I in integrity with how I want to show up? And if not, what is the clinging? What is the grasping? What is the craving? What is the fear? <laughs> For me, it's a lot of fear. What's the anxiety in this moment that's causing me to contract my heart and not being able to show up fully with the person or in authenticity in the circumstance, you know, whatever the case, the case may be. I think I'll pause there. Let me give a little recap here. When I saw Gil talking about evaluating practice, like I said, I was so excited. But what really excited me was the fact that he talked about it doing it in a balanced way. So he acknowledges that there's a shadow side to being too evaluative. And if we look at this in light of the seven factors of awakening, we're always looking for balance, right? We're always balancing. We're balancing mindfulness with distraction. We're balancing discernment with equanimity. We're balancing uh, joy with tranquility. We're always balancing skillfulness of our practice. And if we can get comfortable with checking in with ourselves and evaluating, the practice moves with so much more ease, right? So much more ease. It allows us to look at the map on occasion and say, you know, I've been traveling. The last rest area was 20, let's say the last rest area was 200 miles. Maybe I should pull over and check in. You know, maybe I should grab a cup of coffee, make sure I'm alert, you know? <laughs> so, Checking in really is a, an act of self-compassion, right? It's an act of just making sure we're on the right track. It's not meant to be, oh my gosh, I'm not enlightened yet. It's not meant to be an overly critical or shameful act. It's, it's just a joyful part of the whole, the whole process of movement on the path. So I would invite you to do any evaluation of your practice with an open heart and an open mind and remind yourself that it's just a check-in. I'm going somewhere. Where is it? Where is it that I'm going? I just remembered that I, um, God, this is decades ago now, I took a cross-country trip and uh, I drove, some friends and I, we drove uh, from, was it Portland? Might have been Portland. Yeah, it was actually. No, Seattle. It was from Seattle. So we drove from Seattle to the East Coast and down and uh, we spent a summer traveling 
And there was a point where I was driving and I was, I believe it was in Iowa and I got, we got off at a rest area and I got back on going the wrong direction. And it was like an hour and a half late. And in my defense, it, there was just a lot of like crops, you know, and like open space. So in my defense, <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. And then I just kept looking and just thinking, God, it's, I feel like I've seen this before, you know, but I couldn't really put my finger on it because it all looks so, so similar. And sure enough, I drove like a hundred miles or something before I realized that I had been going the wrong direction. And so, you know, it's helpful to check in, you know, no shame involved. Like sometimes you just, you're going the wrong direction. No big deal. You just pull off, get back on, head back the other way. And hopefully the rest of the folks in the car aren't noticing and it's fine. You just keep, you just keep moving. So I would invite you to enjoy evaluating your practice with a sense of lightheartedness. All right. So for the next few weeks, we're going to go through Gil's article here and he has six different things he encourages us to do with evaluation. So in the next few weeks, we'll go over those and I'll give you some feedback on how you might do it. And it will be a joyful, uh, a joyful endeavor. Well, thank you, my friends, for your kind attention. Oh, it's so nice to be here. First, first talk of the year. I'm so excited to be with you. For those who have to go, be well. If you can stay for a few minutes, we'll conclude with some metta. Good to see y'all. Take a few long, slow, intentional breaths, filling up the body with breath energy, releasing the stress on the exhale. Let us notice the truth of this moment as we experience it in our bodies. Noticing the shape and form, the space we take up in this room. The truth of the rising and falling of the chest and the abdomen. the truth of the mood of this moment, whatever it may be, we can accept it on its own terms. Maybe some tiredness, maybe some alertness. We welcome the mood as it is. Let us bring some awareness to the part of the body called the heart. And let us breathe in a way that's comfortable, allowing breath energy to fill the heart with each breath. With each inhale and exhale, breathing in aliveness into this heart.
and with attunement to this heart. Grounded in this breathing body. Let us offer some gratitude to everyone in this room. Gratitude for Sangha, for community. Gratitude for the generosity of the presence of all these beings. And let's remind ourselves that our ability to be here tonight, this privilege of practice, is accompanied by a high aspiration, our highest value, that our healing, our growth, our transformation be of benefit to all beings. We remind ourselves that the highest value is that all beings be free from stress and discontent, and that all beings know true happiness, true freedom from suffering in this very lifetime. May all beings be free. my friends. Good to see y'all. Catch you next week. Be well. Thanks for joining us here at Wednesday Wake Up. We honor the traditional Buddhist practice of offering the teachings without charge. So this podcast will always be ad-free and will never be behind a paywall. This podcast is sustained exclusively by the generosity of listeners. If you've received value from this podcast and have found your life or practice enriched by listening to it, you can support Gregory as a teacher by going to our website, www.wednesdaywakeup.com, and click on Donate at the menu on the top. While you're here at the website, join our mailing list and follow Gregory on Instagram at Gregory Maloof Dharma. Thank you again for listening. May all beings be happy.